0: Hello there, this is Mark Bauerline with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arberry describes the mission this way, this college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains. The curriculum centers on the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. John Moran has spent most of his adult life in the world of government relations, media strategies, and campaigning. Uh, but in recent years, he's turned to issues of religion and society. He has a recent little book entitled The Resurrection Mantra. It being not only a spiritual exercise, but also an examination of the drawbacks of government policy in the improvement in people's lives. We have some, had some correspondence Uh, Over the the weeks and I thought he would be an able person to fill us in on Matters of religion and politics in his country. He is in Australia Uh, John Moran, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks very much, Mark. Lovely to be with you.
0: Uh, John, are you in Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney? Where are you exactly?
1: I'm in Brisbane up in the Sunshine State we call it in Queensland up in the north. So
0: very good. Very good. I, I, I was actually in Brisbane last year maybe i i 'll begin with that question I, I was there for a week. I was lecturing in Brisbane, Sydney, and in Melbourne, and this was two weeks before the big national election and My hosts tended to be conservative people and John, they were all dispirited, they were disheartened. Uh, they felt very pessimistic about the upcoming election they They were talking as if the conservative movement, the liberal party it is in in, in, uh, in Australia, the Labour Party is the left, the Liberal Party tends to be right or center-right, but they felt the Liberal, the Liberal Party was dead. And it, I mean, it could be doomed forever. They were so down, they didn't even want to talk about what was going to happen two weeks later. What did happen two
1: weeks later? Well, it's interesting you say that because I was speaking to conservatives weeks before that period you are talking about, and I come from the left. Uh, traditionally I, I worked nearly all my life with labor unions and with the Labor Party. Um, and I could see, and I said to a number of conservatives, I said, I believe you will win this election for a diff- number of reasons. The issues were just there. It really came down to how well they campaigned because the issues were on their side, particularly at that time, you'd remember climate change, of course was a big issue and Australia is a major coal mining nation. A lot of our wealth comes from the mining sector and uh, as you know, also even on the left, I mean, even in Great Britain and even in the United States, coal mining is traditionally and, and coal mining workers have traditionally been the backbone of working class politics. Um, and here was the Labour Party basically saying to these people who'd been the backbone of their movement for over 100 years that, uh, sorry, we're going to throw you out of work. But did did your audience agree with you that... With the optimism that you had, they were a bit uncertain because they don't didn't have my. I guess I I'd, I'd even worked for some coal mining unions over the years, and I guess I could see it. And they they because they probably didn't have that internal experience with it. They they weren't sure. They they were interested in my in my views about it. But and I said to them though, it will come down to how well you campaign, like most politics does in the end. In the last couple of weeks, how well you campaign. But I said the issues actually are in your favour. I said I cannot believe a working class party has turned its back on some of its biggest historical voting blocks and and donors. Was it the
0: was it the climate change, uh, the environmentalist uh, embrace by Labour alone, or was it also the social issues that had that had come up? That and you know working class tends to be more socially conservative in their belief. Than, than the elite, is that true in Australia as well?
1: Yeah, well my experience of, of, of politics and the types of issues that will change people's votes, right? um, and it doesn't really matter whether it's Australia, the United States or Great Britain or anyone, anywhere in the Anglosphere. I mean, as Clinton said, you know, it's the economy, stupid. Um, so, so the starting point is always your job, security, financial security. But when that, when that is sort of running against your party, the issues you described, the social issues, build on it. I wouldn't say the social issues are necessarily the first thing that dislodges a person's vote from one party to another. I think it tends to be, by and large, economic. But if if the stars are aligning, right, the social issues will build on it. And what you say is correct. You had the Labor Party saying to these people, working in coal mines and that that you know well we don't really value you anymore you know what I mean we've got, we, we got to get rid of you the, the coals we've got to stop mining coal we've got to do all these sort of uh, negative economic things and this was particularly powerful message in Queensland right where the big coal mines are all through the central area of Queensland and that's and it was actually in Queensland that the Conservatives won the election labor was reduced to about six seats out of about nearly 30. Right, which which and, and yet the state government in Queensland is a Labour government. It's a, it's a left wing government. So that was that was that showed you the devastation that was wrecked on the Labour Party because of these policies. But you could also tell as As you say, there there were some articles starting to get written about wokeness and the gender politics and various gender policies that the Labor Party was putting forward. And they, if you like, became the cream on the cake, I think, for the coalition, for the for the conservative side of politics. Working class people said, well, they're going to knock our jobs over. And they've also got these crazy social policies that really don't suit us as well. So everything came together in a in a perfect kind of world for the for the Liberal Party in the last couple of weeks of the election. And that's what happened.
0: Now, in the United States, after Donald Trump won the presidency, uh what often happens didn't happen. That is, the losing party didn't turn inward, look at itself, and say how in the world did we, did we lose here? What did we do wrong? Uh, one of the keys to Donald Trump's victory was the political correctness uh, angle. Uh, too many people were just feeling that political correctness was coming down on them. They were starting to feel like they were in a straitjacket sometimes. And what has happened since then is that straitjacket has only tightened political correctness has gotten worse in the last few years did the labor party after the liberal victory did
1: the labor party do some soul searching it did it was a it was something of a different reaction in australia and i think i think the observation of the reaction in the united states fed into what happened in Australia. People, the Labour Party said, well, we can't really behave like the Democrats. We really have to take it on the chin. And I think the overwhelming result in the coal mining areas in Queensland, in particular, left them with not much choice. It was just, it was, a, it was as stark as anything, the result. They just You just couldn't deny it. Um, and, and they had no choice but to say, well, you know, we've we, we really have to look at our own policies here, and they've been doing that now ever since, to be honest. So, but the political correctness um, also got a mention there was there was growing concern amongst sections of the Labor Party over the anti-religious stance that's often taken by sections of the Modern Labor Party. The the, the Australian Labor Party, very much like particularly the Northern Democrats in the United States, traditionally always had a very strong Catholic. Influence the Irish, the Irish Catholics in particular, and and um, my understanding of the, particularly in the northern parts of the United States, the Democrats, the Kennedys, and all that sort of thing was all that's very, very similar. Tip O'Neills of the world, all that sort of stuff. Well, the Australian Labor Party was the same. It was basically the Catholic party, and uh, and or well, the Irish Catholic party, and. Uh, Basically run by people like Archbishop Mannix from the sidelines, and it was always, in that sense, very popular. Always hard to beat as a result. But that all broke down, as you say, in, even in the United States in the 60s and 70s to some extent, and uh, that's all been lost. But some people are starting to get concerned about it that the that the, the anti-religious aspect that's crept in is starting to alienate people, particularly in the in the Outer ungentrified areas of most cities now, where, as you say, the the, the middle and lower income people tend to live now, um, they also tend to be community-based people. You know.
0: Yeah. Ha- has the liberal conservative, the Liberal Party, seen this as an opportunity to take religious
1: issues as a political winner for themselves? Not. It's, it's interesting. Not really, because the Prime Minister himself. Uh, Scott Morrison, uh, attends a, um, what would you call it, an evangelical church, and he's, the left, the, the extreme left has, has has done its best to try and make an issue out of that. So he's tended to not want to be seen to be, how would you put it, you know, that the religion's driving his politics, I guess, so he's, he's, he's been a bit cautious. Um, but I'm, I have no doubt that there are people behind the scenes who are, who are running that kind of um, uh, invisible campaigns in various communities. There's not much doubt about that. I think amongst uh, Islamic and Muslim communities that tend to be religiously conservative as well and have traditionally voted Labor because they have been migrant communities. I think there's been a bit of a start of a walk away type movement there. There's certainly amongst indigenous Australians. There's certainly amongst indigenous Australians the start of a similar sort of walk away movement, similar to what's going on amongst African-Americans and the Democrats and Republicans. Uh, so, so these things are starting to um, get some momentum, but I wouldn't say uh, they've got a high profile. They're being sort of tend to be done by the operatives behind the scenes at, at, at working with communities.
0: Well, on, on the religious issue, did the case of Cardinal Pell, which was still
1: unresolved at that time, did that case uh, play into the election? I don't think it played into the election, but it's certainly it's certainly been playing into Australian politics for some time. It, apart from the fact that the Catholic Church, like most organisations in society, you know, had had some bad eggs and some people who misbehaved and did some awful things, um, but of course it's not on its own in that respect. But what tended to happen was, for straight political reasons as opposed to sinful reasons, in my view, the Catholic Church was singled out a large section of society. And I think a lot of it had to do with the traditional power that the Catholic Church was seen to exercise, particularly in the Labour Party. This this became a real battle between the secularists and the, and, and the, and the religious worldview of, of how the party and how government should be run. And uh, so this issue was grabbed onto to try and, if you like, sideline the Catholic Church from Australian public life. And uh, I have to say, for some time, it worked with some success. The Cardinal Pell case, the Cardinal Pell case, looking back now, has to be said, was a watershed. It, 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 it when, when the High Court decision came down... The one that exonerated him. Yeah, the one that exonerated him. It had quite a... It has to be said, it's had quite a dramatic impact. It's all the people who kept running that line and kept running that issue mainly to damage the church rather than really caring about children. Right? They've basically gone to ground. Uh, it, it, it's no longer, it's no longer being, the issue no longer being run the way it was, basically an attack on the church anymore. It's sort of gone away. Uh, I think there was, there were the usual pocket of society, the, the extreme left who were yelling and screaming about it to some extent. But I think the vast majority of people got a big shock at the overwhelming nature of the high court decision. And it exposed, it exposed sections of the media. It certainly exposed the Victorian government, the state of Victoria and South, uh, its legal system, its police force, uh, and, uh, and even what you might call, uh, I guess, even like a feminist grouping, feminist groupings throughout the government bureaucracy um, were exposed. Uh, pretty seriously by this, because it was such an overwhelming rejection of the way he was treated. And
0: today, there there are no serious voices still saying no, no, no. The guy was guilty. He he just got
1: off for whatever reason or another. No one is there. There's no debate. No, not at all. Not not really. No, not now. It, and everyone's just waiting for his book to come out. Um, which I predict will be a bestseller. Uh, uh, it'll be quite a, a very interesting contribution to the public debate. And, and, and from what I've seen, some of the extracts, it will be an interesting, very interesting and powerful contribution to the debate about the nature of Christianity and issues like forgiveness and crime and law and sin and, uh, and politics and the role of the church in society. It's... Just just from what I've seen, the snippet I've seen, I, I think it's going to be a book about that. and will have international appeal, of course.
0: And, and how, has, how has all this affected the Catholic
1: Church itself, the leadership in the church? Well, I think they found it very intimidating. I've sort of, I'm an issues manager myself, and I've, I watched the issue from the sidelines, from a distance to some extent, and, and the way they handled it. I wasn't personally... If I'd been advising, it's not how I would have necessarily handled it. I might've been a bit more robust in responding um, to the political aspects of it. right? Because it's it, pretty clear to me as someone who worked in politics and in issues management, that, that, that what was going on really, while it was about children, it, it, it in the end really wasn't. Right? Because if it was about children, it would have been more consistent across across society and all organizations where this is just a because this type of issue unfortunately is endemic in society as we've seen we've now got Epstein so it's just human frailty dysfunctional sexuality it's, it's not unique to to the Catholic Church and it was it was quite the, the singling out of the Catholic Church was 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 political let's be blunt about it it was political and it was an attempt to um, to to sideline the church and uh, I think that the bishops have now gradually started to comment on things again. There was this Bishop of Sydney uh, was in, got a good run in the media the other day talking about an issue in the New South Wales Parliament. So they've gradually started to step up to the microphone again since the Pell case. So we, we may see the church gradually rebuild itself back into Australian public life. Um, as a result of that um, extraordinary decision by the High Court, which I have to say, my view will be in history, will be the the sheer courage of George Pell, and I've never met, I don't even know George Pell, I've never met him, I don't, but the sheer courage of George Pell in staring down the legal system that had gone off the rails will be the big historical take out of this. The Catholic Church basically in through George Pell and taking it to the High Court basically saved the Australian legal system from this, believe all victims, uh, you're no longer innocent until proven guilty, right? These kind of ideas representing a serious threat to our legal system and, and, of course, represent a similar threat to your legal system and, and the Great Britain and this kind of push through society to, to downplay those great legal uh, great legal principles that we've built over centuries. right? Uh, um, and I think Pell's courage in staring that down will be the historical take out of this.
0: We are in the United States in the midst of a woke revolution. Is something comparable
1: happening in Australia right now? Yes, it, it has been for a, for a number of years. Uh, I've got to say, I it, it took me by surprise. I, as I say, I worked in, in in politics and in labour politics for you know for 30 years, and I saw certain things. I didn't see this, and then when I semi retired and got got into writing more and getting out of the day to day campaigning work uh, about four or five years ago, I ran into this, which. I don't know what I was doing in those 30 years when I was in issues management but I I didn't see a lot of this then all of a sudden I I said Where, what's going on here I, it talk about shock it shocked me like to the point that I'm still kind of coming to grips with it I it, it's to be it's so it's so crazy right it's so crazy give us a specific example of of wokeness hitting Australia oh well the classic is taking gender off the birth certificates. Our state parliaments uh, in a number of places uh, voted, including some from the Liberal Party, the Conservative Party, voted to remove uh, under pressure from the gender fluidity lobby right, to, to remove gender from birth certificates in places like Tasmania, Victoria. And uh, that all got through. And I, I'm sitting there watching this thinking, this is ridiculous. and. Uh, it's been a a, a a campaigning kind of focus of mine ever since for the last four or five years since I've noticed it because it's, in my view, unacceptable. It's uh, it's it's crazy. It's based on a half truth, um, and will be quite tyrannical as we're starting to see quite tyrannical if it's allowed to succeed. Um, but uh, yes, no, it's it's alive and well. Is there a uh, is there a reaction building against it? Yes, I'm pleased to say there is. That it's it, not just me. There is indeed a reaction building against it. And I think that you raised it earlier. There was a uh, that reaction was to was evident to some extent in the election last year. It did build on the top of the other issues I described. Um, and you can see it. There's a the, the government's now talking about legislating for freedom of speech on university campuses. Uh, government recently had a major inquiry into Australian universities in this respect uh, so yes the, the current uh, federal government's very concerned uh, and that's a good sign I have to say uh, the Australian Labor Party to its credit seems to have gone to ground on it all because of losing that election I think some wiser heads unlike watching the performance of the American Democrats unlike the Democrats the Australian Labor Party seems to have got the point to some extent right, that this is not a vote winner um one of the, the really different things about Australia, which I think helps, is that in Australia we have compulsory voting. Right. Which means everyone has to roll out the vote or you get a fine. It's not just the activists. So the silent the so called silent majority basically gets dragged to the polling booth whether they like it or not. And most of them tend to be think all of this stuff's just as ridiculous as you and I think it is, right? So the fact that they're forced to go and vote tends to neutralize the, the power of the, of the smaller activist group who in a, in a voluntary voting environment can have a disproportionate impact.
0: I presume that if there is a reaction that, and, and looking at college campuses, that at least the liberal party sees that this is a political winner, that the the elite may be pushing the woke revolution very hard but there may be a, you know a majority of voters who just feel a little uncomfortable a little pressure a little coerciveness coming out of this and that they may they may favor the the liberal party for taking some steps to maintain free speech uh, to to keep uh, the sort of the thought control getting getting
1: out of hand, is that right? That's correct. The Liberal Party is now starting to win seats that were traditional Labor seats, as I said, particularly in the in the middle to lower income earning areas, uh, the wage and salary earning areas, in the middle and outer suburbs of our cities, and certainly in regional areas, the rural and regional areas as well. Uh, Where there's a bit of a problem even on the conservative side is that the the gentrified, wealthier inner-city suburbs now were traditionally – a lot of them were traditionally liberal, particularly in places like Sydney, big wealthy suburbs, inner-city suburbs on the harbour, beautiful Sydney harbour. They, even on the conservative side, tend to be pretty woke. So you do have a handful of liberal politicians who are looking at their own electorates, their own seats – who tend to play the game a bit, right? To to try and uh, try and hold on to their electorates. Um, so it's, uh, um, you know. So uh, at the moment, though, the the, the majority in the uh, Liberal Party and the Conservative side of politics gets the idea that that wokeness is a vote killer because at the moment most of them are, as I say, in those middle ordinary families type suburbs, right? So uh, they, they they're certainly in the majority. There's no doubt about that. Uh,
0: you know, as, as a campaign expert, uh, let me ask, what, what is your, well, maybe maybe generally I'll say, are, are Australians watching the run-up to
1: the November election here uh, between Trump and Biden? Oh, very closely. I think one of the things that's assisted in Australia to, to, to feed the fight back against wokeness has been the idea of defund the police, that that's a, to most Australians, that's a pretty extraordinary kind of slogan, a pretty extraordinary kind of idea that you would think that any rational government would think about defunding the police. Because certainly in Australian politics, increasing funding for the police is where the votes are. And uh, it's also interesting, the Labor Party didn't want to touch that either, which was uh, uh, Got a bit to do, I think, and I'm a bit surprised at, at the behavior of sections of the Democratic Party in the United States because I've, I've worked with Labor Union people from the United States over the years, nurses unions and electrical unions in the U.S. And jobs like – those public sector jobs like police forces and that often tend to be the first like, – like a rung on the ladder as, as a job for, for various communities – and it was certainly true in Australia a hundred years ago, and even in the United States. For the Irish, you know, the, the poor Irish, they often got jobs in the police forces and and the like. So those sort of public sector jobs are often coveted jobs by those sort of communities. And and here they are saying to those people who are also often highly unionised, um, you know, we're going to cut your salary, we're going to cut back your funding, we're going to reduce the number of people we take in. Um, I, just from a straight jobs point of view, it's not just law and order, it seems a strange policy for a a working, for a party that bases itself on working people to be pursuing. And it's certainly, Australians have looked at it with horror, to be honest, and even the Australian Labor Party. So it's had had that positive effect on helping to kill off wokeness and some of the more extreme um, claims and extreme policies. Uh, that that the woke group would like to impose on us, just watching that that explode in the U.S. How did Australians
0: interpret the results of the 2016 election? How did they see
1: Trump's win? It's hard to tell. Certainly the elites saw it the same way as the the negative elites see it in the U, U.S. Uh, even now, you, most press reports will only ever report on... A Trump gaffe, or you know, or, or a Trump bad poll, or or something like that. You don't, uh, with rare exceptions, you don't get a genuinely balanced view of what Trump's doing. Which I keep an eye on through watching all of CNN and Fox and so on. So I tend to get a better view of it, right? And I also watch it online, so I can I can see what Trump's doing. But I think large numbers of Australians like Trump I mean the 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 idea of the anti-politician is pretty strong here too people are people are pretty well fed up with politicians and, and or the or the insider class what you might call the insider groups in politics people have had enough of them
0: you know I, I remember in 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 mid 2016 I did an interview with a, a Brazilian TV show and and the host was you know a pretty well known national commentator and I I thought that you know, the Brazil, Brazilians would, would hate Trump uh, because of his wall comments yes. and, and things like that. And I said to him off camera, I said, well, what do Brazilians think of Trump? And they said, it's not that they like Trump, but they really want a guy like Trump, an outsider, a non-politician, someone completely outside the system to come in and start cleaning things up. That, that, that's what they're begging for. Uh, out, out of Trump. So same
1: thing in Australia? Exactly the same thing. And in fact, I was only um, thinking about this pr- preparing for this interview. It sort of first happened in Australia, and I think around the world, it might have possibly been the f- happened for the first time in Australia back in the 1990s. We had an election in 1996, a national election, when the then Labor government had been in for 13 years and it sort of had just run its course, if you know what I mean, it was sort of it's time for a change sort of thing. And and it was going out. It was going out of power. No matter how good or bad it had been, it was going out of power just because of its longevity. And there was a woman running in a very safe Labor Party seat here in Queensland. Her name was Pauline Hanson. And she was running for the Liberal Party. She had no chance of winning that seat at the time as the Liberal Party candidate because the Labor Party had about 15% majority in in the seat. And she made some rather controversial and a little bit nasty comments about uh, indigenous people. And the Labor Party made a big issue out of it and tried to force the Liberal Party to disendorse her as a candidate, which the Liberal Party then proceeded to do. This was kind of the first, this was the first inklings we saw of cancel culture to some extent, and it started in politics. So the Liberal Party disendorsed her, but it was after what we call the the nomination period had closed so they couldn't take her off the ballot paper so she stays on the ballot paper then as an independent and lo and behold she wins the seat (laughs) and now she's beholden to nobody that's right she beats the Labor Party in one of its safest seats working-class people again about on the issue of indigenous welfare payments right so this is back in 1996 now she's in the Senate as well. So she's, she's lasted. She's endured. Yeah, she's lasted. Oh, yeah, she's a serious force in Australian politics. And she gets like 10, 15, 20% of the vote in Queensland, her candidates. And she gets elected into the upper house, the Senate. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's what people were looking for then, right? They said, you don't don't go around trying to cancel people. Don't say to people they can't say what they think. And the people, the ordinary people, reacted big time. It took everyone by surprise. It shocked. It sent shockwaves through society, Australian society. But that was the first taste of cancel culture we got, which I, which then made me think. You know, I've read some of your stuff on this, and I, it's interesting. It this march through the institutions, which I said, pointed out before, shocked me when I first encountered it four or five years ago, because I've been so busy with other things. But as I say, we did see it in politics. There was, And I wondered whether this cancel culture hadn't – what the relationship between political behaviour and that academic world and the workplace world, world is. Because in politics, the whole idea, yes, is to knock your opponent over, to beat your opponent and, and catch them out. And if they say something that makes them look um, like a hypocrite or that they don't have credibility on an issue, you're always doing that in politics, exposing it and trying to – so that was a part of political campaigning, which seems to now have been transferred from that robust political hustings world into the ordinary workplace, where, where you're catching people. Where, 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 in a parliament or a, or a congress, yes, you catch your opponent out. But why would you be in an ordinary workplace trying to catch your workmates out all the time and your work colleagues, and, you know, and, then get, and get them sacked and get them, you know, it, 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 I don't know where you think it started or originated, but, I, but I, when I thought about this more, I thought, yes, well, we were doing that sort of thing. We've been doing that sort of thing in politics for 20 or 30 years, getting people disendorsed for things they say. You know what I'm getting at? And now, as Opposition say, research. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. Now it's progressed. In a very nasty, negative way, uh, in into all other facets of our life, and and you're saying and you're saying that, that this has been and not just you but everyone said that this has been growing in the campuses and the universities too for twenty or thirty years. It has, it has.
0: L- last question, John. F- fill us in very quickly on the state of the pandemic in Australia.
1: Well, the pandemic. Uh, seemed to be handled fairly well at the start, uh, but now it's, it's, it's really spiralled out of control. Well, certainly the political management has spiralled out of control, and I'll admit that I'm still trying to process it. Right? I'm still trying to analyse wh- uh, where it's going to go, but, but the, the state of Victoria, right, the, the famous state of Victoria, which mistreated Cardinal Powell, which uh, mistreats a lot of other people as well through its woke sort of policies, has now found itself basically implementing martial law and it seems to me it's the only state in the Anglosphere that's behaving like this. It's, it's gone full clampdown. For the next six weeks, it's certainly getting a lot of international coverage. I see Trump mentioned it the other day. Schools are closed? Um, everything. Yeah, people are locked in their houses, basically. Um, everything's been shut down. And uh, big fines if you're caught outside. You can't, you can't go more than five kilometres from your house. Uh, you're only allowed out for an hour each day to go shopping, or and only one person in the house can do that. Uh, it's quite uh, it's quite an interesting reaction, and I'm not sure I'm not sure how people are going to cope or even respond to this over time. It's it's a it's a very serious political issue whether a government should behave like this. I'm not I must say I think the jury's out. Right, but because, like everywhere, it's a complicated issue. It's a new virus. We don't really know it or don't really know a lot about it. We're still learning about it. And there is the issue of life versus the economy, you know. But it's 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 thrown up a political management model in traditionally free in a traditionally free society that is going to need a lot of consideration and a lot of thought and a lot of analysis. Um, when, the, when the dust settles, it's a, it's a dangerous trend to let governments and societies like ours, um, even, in a, even in a pandemic, behave like this. I don't even recall, even in wartime, that we've ever done anything like that um, in, in, in democratic societies.
0: Well, we're, John, we're going to have to have you write a short piece on the website in two months to fill us in on how things are progressing on, on that issue in Australia. But John Moran? Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, Mac. That was very good.
0: And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.